This is Meet the Fam, a podcast series from The Way Church for you to get to know The Way family and meet the people like you, building a place for you. I'm Matt Rothy, pastor of The Way Church, and I'm joined by our producer, John Boomhofer, and our co-host, Heidi Zell. Thanks for having us. It's good pleasure. to be back, yeah, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Mm-hmm. This is our first episode of our second season of Meet the Fam. And for this episode, we get the chance to sit down with The Way's mission counselor, Pastor Mark Burkholz, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me here. It's always fun to be in Fredericksburg. It is It is fun for us as well. Now, you being on Meet the Fam kind of breaks from our normal standard operation. Normally, we have people who are part of our faith family, but not really. Um, you're very much a part of our, of our church, even though you don't live in Fredericksburg or attend every week. And the reason is because of the role that you have served here uh, for even before we started. I guess you could say you're like member 001, long before there was a pastor here, long even before there was a core group here. You were here doing some groundwork in Fredericksburg about whether or not uh, we should we should have a church here, right? Uh, do you want me to go through how that came about? Yeah, or yeah I'm interested. I'm interested because I wasn't here and okay. no no one else was. So yeah, tell us about that experience. All right. So I think it's Trinity and Woodbridge, right? It, it, to the best of my knowledge, because I work under six different mission boards. So the mission board of record here would be the North Atlantic Mission Board with Pastor Waddles in Falls Church. Best of my knowledge, there were people at Trinity and Woodbridge who lived here in Fredericksburg and Safford, is that? Yeah, Stafford and Spotsylvania and Fredericksburg City, a few. Who had expressed interest as far as what would it take to get a separate congregation here? Um, Traffic considerations, distance considerations, what, what would it take? So that was strong enough that eventually their church council asked me to come and talk to them. And uh, they gave their full-hearted endorsement to do whatever I do. <clears throat> and what I did is what we would call a community profile. And I don't, would you like me to unpack that yeah, a little bit? Yeah, unpack that a little bit. And okay. one of the reasons I'm interested is because I'm going to follow up, how often should you do a community profile? Because that's going on five, maybe six years now since you've done that one. 2014, it, 2015, yeah. Sure. Oh, wow. So yeah, tell us about what, what that is like and well uh and i got to be careful here because so much has changed in the time i've been a mission counselor and before that when i was on a mission board when when we did community profiles 25 or even 15 years ago we were primarily looking at demographics economic things uh housing starts a lot of the same things that you'd look at if you were going to start a small business. We were looking at those sort of things. And that has changed now to where we look much more at uh, what's the spiritual makeup of a community? Um, What are the general moods within a community? Are there solid Lutheran churches in that community already or not? And then the biggest one of all is the people who expressed interest in starting a church here, the Lutheran members who were here already, what are they like? And do they know what it would be like to get into starting a church? So we still look at all the demographics and studies and talk to individuals in the town and real estate sort of things, but uh, primarily we build it around who the core group is. 
those first few visits in 2014 and 15, I was doing a little bit of the old-fashioned stuff, just looking at community makeup and talking to anybody who would tell me about what it's like to live in Fredericksburg. That gives us a really cool picture into what you do as a mission counselor. How else do you go about explaining to people what it is that you do and who is who it is that you are? It's kind of a three-part job, or I work for three entities. I don't know how to explain it. The, the I, I work under six of what we call the 14 district mission boards. So all of North America is split into 14 areas or regions or districts, as we call them. And I work for six of them, uh, going all the way from Montana over to Maine, as far south as uh, North Carolina, most of the Midwest. So I, I, I work under them to advise the district mission boards, uh, usually made up of five to six gentlemen, lay past, laymen and pastors. I also work for the Board for Omissions based out of Milwaukee, where a center is headquartered. And then I also work for the congregations that I'm associated with, which at any given time is 50 to 60 congregations. So what do I do? Depends on the stage and the development of those congregations. Uh, it would depend on how proactive and aggressive the district mission boards are. It would depend on how much money the Board for Omissions has sure. in order to fund new starts and subsidize existing churches. So I guess as long as I'm rambling, uh, it there isn't a month where it's the same as last month. There certainly isn't a year where my job description is the same as what it was last year. I've always kind of wondered this about your job because I've known a lot of pastors, but nobody else that does exactly what you do. Um, why did you why did you keep doing mission counseling, and why not just take an easygoing parish pastor job? Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, way back when, I, I had the privilege to help start a church in Denver. So from day one, I was thrown into the same pool, if you will, as what Matt experienced. Fresh out of seminary, go start a church. Within five years, I was on what was called the District Mission Board. I was way too young to be on there. First meeting I went to, they made me the chairman of that. I was way too young to be on a chairman. But then for 17 years, I was involved with the administration side of home missions, even as I'm also pastoring a, a church. And I saw quite a few guys who were mission board chairman like me, for lack of a better term, just burn out. And so it was during that time that we created what was called a mission counselor. We'd never had that before. And basically that man was asked to be uh, associated with a district mission board to perhaps take some of the burden off of a district mission board chairman to uh, help understand the constantly changing spiritual nature of the United States and, and just do a lot of research and uh, idea sharing that a typical parish pastor would not have time to do. So I was supervising mission board chair or uh, mission counselors in that position, saw what they did, didn't know that I ever wanted to do it. But then when I came back after spending a year in the Caribbean with a new start effort, 
they asked me to do this. And I thought I was intrigued by it. I also believed that nobody should be a mission counselor more than five years. Mm -hmm. Now I'm on year 14. (laughs) So I'm breaking all my own rules. And I... I guess the short version of that long answer I'm giving you is a, it, it's helpful in the polity and the way that we go about starting churches in the Wisconsin Synod to have what we call a mission counselor. Someday I would like to be back in a parish. Okay. Yeah. So it's helpful, but I mean, would you say that you would advise, other, would you still advise other people to not do it for more than five years? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Good to know. Now, because I I saw friends who who did this, and and I thought that uh, in some ways they lapsed into imposing their own reality and their own experiences on a, a new mission setting, different town, different talents, different people involved. So the only reason I felt okay in violating my five year rule is that I constantly remind myself, this is not my community. This is a different pastor. This is a different group of people. And the day that I start violating that rule, I'll I'll need to be done. That's good. Good parameter. That brings up another question then. If, If you had to say what was your most surprising thing or just what, what you learned out of 2020, and being around so many churches, what was one takeaway that you had from 2020 and the church? Well, in, in brutal honesty, because you're, you're looking for brutal honesty here, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yes, always <clears throat> said. Confessional Lutherans, for good reasons, do not change easily. We do not adapt. We're a little nervous of anything. It's edgy because we're not sure it's appropriate. But what happened in 2020 in a lot of our congregations is that they changed dramatically out of necessity. <clears throat> uh, they didn't change their doctrine, didn't change their practice, but they changed uh, their um, their methods of communication. They changed their methods of uh, getting worship services pieced together. Uh, there were a lot of places who had probably not even heard of online worship before and all of a sudden they needed to do it. Uh, every place that I know of and been associated with, they uh, upped their level of communication in terms of consistency and quality. And um, they changed the ways that they gathered offerings. A lot of people had heard that there were opportunities to give online, for instance, but a good many churches said, well, that's fine. And when we're all dead, the, the new leaders of the church can implement that. But uh, not being able to have worship services or even gather uh, necessitated that a lot of our churches simply had to go to online mechanisms. When you say um, up their level of communication, in this day and age, a lot of that is all online. Like right. from email lists to your members, making sure they have the information they need to online worship services to online video resources, all that kind of lives in that realm these days. Right. And even the churches that were aware of it and and implementing technology, if if you will, um, some of them, and I'm not a techie guy, you guys know that, but some of them, I would look at their website and say, the information on here is two and a half months old. 
they learned you, you can't do that in, in COVID. You need to have fresh stuff mm-hmm. on a daily, certainly a weekly basis. Yeah. And the, so they stepped up their game too. Interesting. Heidi and John, you guys are both very closely involved with everything that goes on here at The Way. John with worship directing, Heidi with communication coordinating. Do you guys have a takeaway for that as you guys look back on the year that we just had? uh, Biggest takeaway from the past year? Biggest shift for our local congregation? Do you want to go first or do you want... I mean, I would just echo a lot of the things that you said about communications and just having to, you know, adapt or get left behind. Because I think um, when you talk about the changes that we made for COVID, that kind of stuff like is never going away now that we've had it implemented. So whether it's virtual church or, you know, telecommunications with your members, not seeing everyone in person every week it, it kind of hurts to not have that, you know, have a chance to go away because we miss seeing people in person. We miss just having everybody gather in the worship service every Sunday. But what we can do with that in the future is more important than our growing pains and okay. our, you know, will unwillingness to change, I guess. Yeah. The change is never easy. Like I know for, for probably Matt and I and you, like it was hard. we there are a lot of things we didn't know how to do, didn't have the capacity to do, didn't know we should be doing. Um, and I would say my one of my biggest takeaways was that um, I was talking to a couple of friends who also do worship directing um, at some other Wells churches. And one of them said that they're, they've come to the reality that even when this is all over, there's never going to be a point in history where they interact with more people in person than they do online. There's just so many eyes on the things that you're going to put out online, um, f- like in the present time, like simultaneously, as well as that stuff lives there forever. So you're just going to have consistent, continual engagement with people. And so whether or not we were prepared for that before, um, that doesn't really matter. We just have to accept the reality that that's something we have to um, decide is important because that's how people are seeing us. That's how we're reaching people. That's how we're getting out um, God's word to people. And even though it's hard, um, even though it seems uh, sometimes like new agey or different, or we're just falling in line with everybody else, which like you said, Wells has that kind of, where we we lag behind or we're afraid of some of the new things. The reality is um, that's how people are coming to see the, our church and by proxy, God's word. So, John, you kind of took us there. We've been talking about the past year and things looking back. Um, everyone has a hot take, right? Oh, yeah. Everyone has a hot take about mine like, might have just been one. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I, I don't think so. But I, I'm curious, Mark, because, you know, everyone's got a hot take about what the future church will look like. Um, but all of the advice, all of the counsel, all of the encouragement that you've ever, ever shared with me is not a hot take. It is uh, well, well thought through. And so as, as you personally look ahead to uh, 2021 and beyond, what outcomes, what trends um, do you hope stick around go- that are good? Um, or maybe things that have developed over the past 11 months now and then beyond what, what things are you maybe, Hey, this is something to watch, be concerned about. Yeah. 
So a number of people have asked me, and I tell them, you're asking the wrong person because I'm not technologically savvy enough to be to even understand the present, much less what's going to happen <laughs> in the future with it. Um, I, so from that perspective, I, I start by saying, I hope it doesn't become an either or, that I'm either participating online or in person. Uh, the church is going to have to do both and. Talking mm-hmm. about the organized church, uh, putting together worship, things like that, Bible studies, communication. It's it's going to have to do online. It's going to have to also plan for in person. The participants in the church, the laity, I will, I hope, will do both and. I would just be nervous, perhaps because of my age, about the person who says. I get the full Christian experience by participating through a screen, sending in an offering, uh, occasionally sitting in on a Bible study. I I would have to say to that person, maybe so, but prove that to me. You know, if it were one of the members of my home church, I would say, prove that to me. And allow me to call you in two years and see if you're still as consistent. Mm-hmm. As you might, what you might have been, and what I think you would be, if you also participated in person and formed relationships. I'm still skeptical of in-depth relationships being formed online. Does that sound like an old guy? A little bit, yeah. yeah I think. <laughs> no yeah. offense. I think yeah. there is danger in that, like assuming that everything can just go online and it is okay. Um, yeah. Express express that a little more. Um, I mean, you could get a sermon out of me about what that is, but I mean, well, yeah, because if, your your, if you're doing John? it for your own convenience, um, then there might be, and there there are good reasons to do that. Like if if you're like you said, it, it ideally would be a both and. Like you're supplementing um, your presence at church with being able to use online Bible study resources. Or if you're away, you can attend online and, and all those things. But if you are solely doing that, I think you have to look at why that is. You have to examine your own heart and see if it's if it's because it's just a convenience thing, then you might have there's something in your life that's, you know, taking precedent over being with the body of believers, um, coming to hear God's word with everybody else. Um, this is not something that we haven't talked about before, but the idea that there are, I'm, I'm going to get the number wrong, but it's 60, 70, or 80 commands in the New Testament to one another, encourage mm-hmm. one another, serve one another, uh, train one another, equip one another. Um, and you just can't do those when you're not gathered together with other people. And and you joked about how you, you're maybe having an old man take on whether or not real relationships can form online. One thing that I'm really proud of our, our groups here at The Way is that for the first time ever, we had online groups. And some of them have maintained um, that way throughout. Um, and they're made up of people who are unable or who can't gather together in person at this time. And the feedback that I'm getting from this group is that real relationships are forming, uh, real, uh, engagement, not only in the word and sacrament is happening, um, online, not, not the sacraments, but God's word, um, is happening there. 
And so we praise God for that. And we've been able to share Christ with more people because of that. Um, but I know, know those people are all in uh, on it. And so one thing that we talk about as far as just our mindset goes is how we approach things is that we are 100% all in on in-person and that's nothing new, but we're also a hundred percent all in on everything that's online. And, and that's nothing different than you were, you were alluding to. It's not a both hand. Yeah. Or an either or it's a both it hand. Yeah. But let me try this. It might be a better explanation than what I offered before. Uh, people sometimes speak of the five basic activities for the new Testament Christian. I think there's a sixth and uh, maybe I'll add that later if you want, but the five activities would be that I participate in public worship, I participate in spiritual growth, uh, I make use of my talents uh, for the benefit of other people, not just myself, I offer a portion of the wealth God's entrusted to me, and then the fifth one would be that I would share what I know to be true with those who don't know that truth yet. I think you can accomplish one, two, four, and five. You can worship in a meaningful way. <clears throat> you can grow spiritually through online Bible classes and Sunday school. You can give money. We, we've shown that. And I think you can even evangelize. There's a lot of examples of people who found us during COVID, took a Bible information class, joined the church. The one I worry about is uh, the use of one's talents on behalf of other human beings or the church as a whole. I, I just don't know how that's going to happen as readily or easily. And that's the one that scares me because I'm on record as saying, apart from worship itself, the most important thing you can do out of all those other activities mm -hmm. is c contribute your time. Because when you put time into it, that's a whole lot different than putting money into it. I want to hear the six real quick, but then I want to ask you, John, a question about just that time. Yeah. <coughs> Mark, what is the Well, six the sixth one, one would be a fellowship in the biblical sense. Um, if you want to use friendship or gathering together as fellow Christians and, and just hanging out with each other, I, I'd probably be talking to the choir here with you guys because you're all under 40, right? <laughs> yes. But my generation did not appreciate as much uh, the opportunity to gather with one another as what you guys, if I can generalize it as millennials and whatever comes after that, Gen X, I, I think you understand the gathering and participating and just sharing. Thanks for mentioning that. We, I think we will come back to that. But John, yeah. he, he mentioned the, the third thing that's difficult to do is use your gifts in a mm -hmm. meaningful way to serve others. And you could call that vocation. You could yes. call that your, your calling, your purpose. Uh, for, for lack of a better description, one of the main roles that you serve is our volunteer coordinator. Mm -hmm. um, how have you seen that affected by uh, COVID in the last year and, and people plugging in to use their gifts, whether it's on a Sunday or throughout the week? I think there are positives and negatives. Um, you know, with doing the online thing, there are um, more more things that we can task people to do, but some of them might be exclusionary, like technic technological gifts. So there's not everybody wants or has abilities to do those sorts of things, but now we have more of that than ever that we can start handing off to volunteers, and that's a great thing. Um, one thing that might be a negative is just the fact that we're trying to um, be as safe as possible. So there are, there are people that... Um, 
aren't coming to church and, and in turn there are people and they're consistently worshiping online but that we're part of setup teams or part of volunteering um, in other areas that now are not doing those things and so that pra- places a lot a lot of pressure on those that still are so i think we there's a couple of things you face burnout um with with the volunteers that are are continuing to do that and then um another is just trying to plug people in i think that opens the door to plug new people in um and i'll just say this this is maybe my own problem you know during covid i i have a i i'm don't want to ask a lot of people and may, you know and so i try to i tend to stick with the people that are doing stuff because i'm i'm like oh you're a new member that just joined i'm i i should be more open to to asking people to help and to volunteer because I know they like, I know they want to. I know, like, if you're part of our church, you want to use your gifts. Um, yeah, I don't know if I adequately answered that question, but do you mean you just didn't want to ask a lot of people because of social distancing and you know safety concerns? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I would say that's one of them, and just like general, it's hard time, you know, hard time for yeah. people. So. Mm-hmm admittedly was like in my mind protecting people's time or what mm-hmm. but but instead um um probably like overloading myself or or maybe a few others so so mm-hmm. i think like there's a couple of issues with that like and i think it's a learning thing i think we can have people use their time and talents but like learning how that works and how to do that in this new climate is a is a new challenge for sure. No, I'm glad you spent time talking about that, John. So thank you for bringing up positive and negative aspects of it because people don't always realize this, but let's be honest, the church is a volunteer-run organization. 100%, yeah. Yeah, and to just recognize that and during a season of uh, ministry that we're going through like that to to call it what it is and, and talk about the main engine that makes things go yeah. here and have a, have a check on it and mm-hmm. say, hey, volunteers make it go. Uh, how, how is it going with that? So thank you for assessing it yeah. that way. And, it's, and I mean, it's going well. Like, praise God, we're able to make worship happen every week, whether we had have to pivot to online quickly or we're doing it in person. And that's an amazing thing because we have a lot of great volunteers. Um, yeah, so that's a good thing. Matt, you said something I just wanted to push back on real quick. Um, the part about not being able to do the blank one another online, I think, and I think you did contradict yourself a little bit, but there are a lot of ways that you can still communicate with people a lot online. But I think that maybe our generation is more, more prone to doing that anyway. Um, It, it might not be using your talents like your vocation, but it could be just using your time to say, you know, here's a sermon I saw. I think you might enjoy this or listen to this podcast or just checking in with people. I think that's one thing that, you know, as a Christian, you are called to serve other people and to love them. And if that means like giving them your time, that can still be done online. And I, mm-hmm. I think that people shouldn't be afraid to, you know, reach out more so than they normally would to people. I think that's brilliant, Heidi, because so often we get comfortable behind our screens treating the profile picture on the other side like it's some digital avatar or something mm-hmm. along those lines. But y'all know that's a real person. That's a real person who's experiencing the same 
things that you are, who needs the same things that you do, uh, whether it's encouragement, whether it's just a high, or whether it's just a you know reconnection, and people need it now more than ever. And so you're absolutely right. Um, I think for people to intentionalize those things and, and use the gifts of social media and all other forms of multimedia that they have at their disposal to connect to people and, and do it intentionally because the same with a, an in-person interaction, it, it doesn't happen unless it does intentionally. And I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think um, with, with online stuff, like especially church, it's easy for a myriad of reasons. Like you could call it easier to worship online. You, you like, you don't have to commute. You don't have to like dress up or, you know, even Shower. get out of bed if you don't want to. <laughs> um, and I think a major part too is you don't have to communicate or connect with other people, which is in an, like, uh, an emotional exercise. Like it takes a lot to do that for some people. And I think being in, like you said, being intentional online is like, you can still do that. But the temptation is it's easier not to if you're just doing it online. So if you intentionalize using your time and um, trying to connect and help those people out in your life, even if it is just um, through digital means, that's a good practice to have. Yeah, I'd even go so far. And first of all, I, the role that you fill, and I didn't realize you filled this role, you, you're the talent coordinator. More yes. or less for the yes, for the way. Is. Okay, so y- your position is going to have to be influenced by something that occurred as, as you talked. The creativity that we will collectively use to come up with ways that we can put our talents mm-hmm. to good use. So, so I was thinking of in the past if somebody was really in a a bad place, maybe you bring them a bowl of chicken soup, you know, or, mm-hmm. or a lasagna, yep. or, or or if they had a baby, that was the thing. Here you go, here's 32 pounds of lasagna. And the poor lady, <laughs> uh, she's all of a sudden got 32 <laughs> slabs of lasagna in the freezer. Um, I I don't know that we communicated much gospel truth. We would say, here's a Jesus-like act of mercy, without talking about the specifics of an act of mercy. But if you talk what you were alluding to. Heidi, talking that way, you're actually taking a means of grace, a direct uh, portion of God's word, and and applying that to that heart. And maybe I bring them soup and lasagna too, Mm -hmm. but I'm going one step further than maybe what we did 20, 25 years ago, saying, here's something godly directly from the Savior's Mm -hmm. lips, and that will help you too. I think that's one of the benefits too of this is... um, arming our congregation with those digital tools that they can use. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I think it in some ways it could be even easier because maybe when you walk up to your friend's house and hand them a pan of lasagna, you don't say, you know, Psalm 130 <laughs> is perfect for this moment. But if you think of like your friend, you know, going through a tough time or, or anything, or even just, you know, a happy time, you could text them Psalm 130 and that wouldn't be weird. I mean, there's there's something to gain from being sort of behind your screen. You don't have to do that face to face kind of um, emotional exercise. I'm going to say this thing right now. We're going to look at each other. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know that they're going to read it. They maybe don't have to respond to it right away, but you can share that gospel or some scripture or something very godly. You know, more naturally probably. 
Well, you're kind of getting on one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, and that's as you as you consider kind of the the new normal, as people have been referring it to, where um, people are sharing the gospel, which is a very personal thing, but doing so in a social distance world. Uh, what encouragement do you have for people who, who are looking to share their faith? You guys just listed one example with the lasagna. But in addition yeah. to that, what what encouragement do you have for people who are, who are looking to share their faith in a very personal way with friends and neighbors? And, and yet, they look around and they're like, yeah, I, I just don't connect with people as much. We're, we're not gathering in the same ways that we used to. There's so yeah. much social distancing. Um, yeah. What encouragement do you have? <clears throat> well, boy, there's a lot of facets to that one. I, I guess uh, all my life I've been a Christian and I grew up in a traditional Midwest church, Christian family and stuff like that. I, I remember, uh, the very first time that it occurred to me that I'd have opportunity to share my faith, we went, we called it canvassing back in the day. There was no training whatsoever. <clears throat> but you go out and knock on a door, and I was 13 years old, so eighth graders, confirmation pro- project. Go out and knock on a door. I'm from this church. Here's a pamphlet, and we hope that you would come to our church, and, and that was it. Um, it it got me to thinking. I was uncomfortable as a Dickens and just nervous. Never forget that moment. But it did get me to thinking and get me ready for the day when I was a pastor of a brand new church. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, some of the most fun you're going to have this side of heaven is engaging a non-church person. And I don't think that many of us believe that that would be fun. Mm-hmm. We think that that would be a challenge. It, it could be hard. I might mess it up. Very scary. Very it's, intimidating. It's scary. It's, intimidating. it's absolutely fascinating. It, it, in a in a strange sort of way, it's it's entertaining <laughs> to, to have that conversation with somebody who does not know or acknowledge the Lord or despises the Lord, and say, "Can we just talk about that in a kind way?" That's the most fascinating book I've ever read. Is to read somebody spiritually with the words coming out of their mouth. Even if they don't agree with me, even if they throw Jesus under the bus, what what is there that's more fascinating? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I know you asked that rhetorically, but I'm yeah. gonna ask ask you to just kind of delve into that a little bit more because what you're getting on is true and it's something that I'm blessed to experience as a mission pastor. You've been experiencing it a lot longer than I have. Yeah. But for someone who who has never uh experienced that before who or or maybe who hasn't even thought that that's something that might be positive. Um, why do you say that, that that may be a very wonderful experience? I, I think we're reluctant because we, we, we believe that, all right, I'll open my mouth, I'll have that conversation, and then there ought to be instant gratification, and they turn their life over to Jesus immediately. Um, and when that doesn't happen, see, it doesn't work, it's not fun, blah, blah, blah. Uh, most people who, who come to faith, if we can use that phrase, through the words of a, a friend who shared the truth with them, that did not happen overnight. It, it goes on for months. And uh, if, if you think that it's just a quick thing, and that'll be fun, I'll say the right word, and then they join a church, and they get saved, and they go to heaven, um, that, that's really not the fun of it. The, the fun of it is to see that 
the first time they rejected you and yet you were persistent and they continued to have the conversation with you at least and you were persistent and six months or six years later it finally kicks in that that's fascinating to me um i don't know if that's answering the question no, or I, just i think it's good and I think one thing that we maybe grow accustomed to, and this is a negative of social media and the 24-7 news cycle, is that we assume the majority of people that we don't know are going to be um, far different than we are, or they're going to react uh, very much in an extreme to to what we want to share with them. And that's the message of the gospel, which has provided hope and peace throughout a very turbulent time for us. And yet what you find when you do that is that is a very small uh, minority of people who are going to react that way. Most people really are looking for it and for good reason for that peace. And so when you're able to, in just a a very relatable way, just express to you what, hey, this is what my church means for me. This is what Jesus Christ means to me. That goes a very long way. And and what you said about the instant gratification as well on top of that is so true. Um, we get very used to that. We get used to when I'm bored, I turn on Netflix. When mm-hmm. I'm hungry, I open my fridge or order groceries on my phone. When I want something, I go on Amazon and it's there like that. And yet that's not how life works. And that's not how God's word works. God's word works whenever he pleases and wherever he pleases. Um, but most of the time you're right. It's not an overnight experience. And in sim- like inversely, like I think a lot of people think that if they open their mouth and they say that they're a Christian or they love Jesus, that like instant gratification, but backwards, that that person will immediately not want to have a relationship with them. Right. Um, where, where kind of what you said is like, it is the interesting and very cool part is as you continue that relationship to see their interest grow or what have you. And I think it is a really scary thing that people think is real that um, if they say that, that they, that they're a Christian and that they tell somebody else that they're going to like just end their friendship right away. And maybe that might happen, but it's probably very rare. Rare. That's never been my experience. But I think that's a fear that a lot of people have. Well, and and that fear for them, I, w- I would just ask them to um, assess their character. Like if you're bringing it up like in a way that is inappropriate or offensive, then yes, you will use lose friends because of that. Um, but if you if you do it in a way that truly loves someone else, that truly seeks to serve them in the moment, what do you have to fear? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I know about the people in our faith family, in our church, is that it's a group of Christians who love Jesus, who love their church, and who want to share the good news of Jesus with people. And yet, oftentimes, I think they assess their their opportunities and they might say, man, I I just don't have people that I know who I could share this with. I don't have people whom I know um, that would be willing to come with me to church. What, what encouragement do you have for individuals like that who are looking for those opportunities, but aren't finding them? Well, I'll give a little bit of an autobiographical answer 
uh, in the sense, I don't want to just indict people who say that uh, it will come across like I'm doing that. I'm indicting myself uh, since being out of the parish and specifically moving out of our house two years ago into an apartment complex. It's become much easier for me to be able to say, I just don't interact with people anymore apart from the Christians that I know. I don't have any non-Christian acquaintances or friends. And I think of who lives below me and on either side, and I live in the kind of apartment complex where you go up a stairway and there's a door that goes to one apartment here and a door over here. I know there's a lady, a divorcee with a teenage son living right next door. I say hi to him when they walk their dog. And I talked to him once about playing ninth grade football. That's as far as the conversation's ever gone. On the other side of me, I know there's a lady who just moved over to Denver from Grand Junction, and she's our age. And we met her one time because we share a balcony, more or less. Um, she's a school teacher. I've never taken the conversation any further. To the best of my knowledge, none of those three people have a church from because the sh- they found out in the course conversation what I do. And they weren't hesitant, you know, they didn't run away from me. I've never followed up on that. That's my way of saying, I, th- I think that we lapse into saying, I don't know anybody who's not a Christian because we've gotten comfortable with that. And a little bit of it is you're going to have to be aggressive. Go out into the world and discover somebody who's not a Christian. There's, so I'm telling myself to do that first mm. because I become one of the lazy lay people. Maybe well, you can edit that if you need to. <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah. Well, you shared that. That's helpful that that you're you're being autobiographical with that, because you shared over dinner that you are a recovering introvert. Yeah. And yeah. and yet you speak very clearly, very boldly about uh, opportunities in your life and times where you have taken that conversation further and where you haven't. Right. And I think back to parish years when I played uh, competitive slow pitch softball, which is almost an oxymoron to say competitive slow pitch, <laughs> but, but it was. I've, I've been hey. hoping to start oh, yeah. a team here every oh, year yeah, that we've yeah. been here and COVID ruined it this year. So can we like yeah. make good on that in 2021? Yeah. As a former <laughs> softball player, I reject that opinion of slow well, pitch. The reason I say it, I used to play fast pitch. Softball okay, and, and yeah. baseball in high school and college. So I never thought slow pitch softball, that's for old guys and stuff. It's but you get into some high end, mm-hmm. it, it's incredibly athletic and uh, stuff like that. And, and the reason for bringing that up is back then I was a parish pastor, but there were only two of us on that team that were churchgoers. My friend got me on that team and he deliberately did it. He was a better evangelist than I was. He deliberately got us on a team with a bunch of guys whose God was softball and beer and adultery. And he said, that that's who we're going to play with, not only because they're really good, we want to be on that team, and they needed a center fielder and a pitcher was what we were. We said, we're, we're going to get better at being missionaries. Um, some of the conversations I had with those people resulting eventually in baptisms, confirmations, marriages for some of those guys. Um, High point in my life as an evangelist, I would say. That would have never happened if I hadn't had a friend who deliberately said, get off your duff and go engage some heathens. Let me 
zoom in from <laughs> the. <laughs> That's a that's a frank way to put it. Yeah. Um, but let, let me zoom in, zoom in on on really doing that, taking the conversation from what do you do? I'm a teacher. I'm a pastor. From you play ninth grade football. I used to play ninth grade football. From softball. What does that What does that look like for you? And I'm and I'm asking for you to give it personally, but also um, for encouragement to others. What does it look like to take that conversation to faith and spiritual matters? Mm. I think it's asking questions, asking the ninth grader, does he find it to be a violent game? Is it what he hoped it would be? What do people think of him? Uh, does he fear injury, concussions? You know, just get inside of his head as much as you can get inside the head of a ninth grade boy and say, what What are your emotions? Uh, for the, the teacher, um, I don't know if she's single because she's a widow or divorced. But uh, most of my family is teachers. I for sure ought to be able to talk to her and say, what's it like that your career is over? Uh, are your days hollow? And uh, as soon as they know that you care enough to ask about what's going on inside their head and their heart, eventually the subject of spirituality will come up. Might not be this week, next week, but it will come up. If you're not bashful, by occasionally alluding to the fact you have to be a Christian. If you ever want to talk about that, mm -hmm. be happy to talk. I would go so far as to say, you know, make sure that people, I'm assuming you're not doing this on the first time you meet these people, right? You're, you're sort of building a relationship until you can. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even so, more so in today's world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, the only times that's been successful for me is when I actually kept talking and kept giving these people time. And, you know, of course it's enjoyable for you as well because you get to know another person, but right. you are giving them your time and that's that's a way you can serve them for sure. And of yeah. course, if you can evangelize to them, perfect. Yeah. And to go back to that introvert thing, I, I love books. I've always loved to read and in hindsight, uh, some of it was just an excuse to avoid the world. And it, w once you start asking questions of people that eventually lead to spiritual conversations, you find that's the most interesting book in the world right there. Uh, when, when you get to read another person and, and hear what's on their inside. That, that's kind of answering a question I had earlier when we were talking about the church post-COVID. Um, but... 2020 was obviously very challenging for many reasons, not just because of a pandemic. Um, and I think a lot of people my age maybe see the church and Christianity as something that either turns people away from you or, you know, just the topic of it is is kind of not as welcome as you would want in our society, especially among people my age. Um, how would you say that not just by, you know, starting up groups for people and um, welcoming them in for this kind of fellowship, but like evangelism post-2020 or post this shift that our country has taken. How does that, how does that fit together? Yeah. Yeah. So the kind of stuff I was talking about <coughs> is where you maybe bring somebody that you know is unchurched, but a friend, and you bring them into an environment where you're doing something fun, playing softball, baking cookies, brewing beer, and they get to see Christians aren't all that weird or abnormal. And the ne 
and the guy or the gal knows that these are church people. It's a little weird to be around them and see that they actually drink beer and play softball, but I'll get used to it. And eventually spirituality is going to naturally come up, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about more one-on-one, I, I, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So natural law would tell us all people by nature are spiritual, right? There's a sense that a God does exist. I hear all the time, and I can't verify it because not many 20-year-olds want to talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) But I got a 24-year-old daughter, and I got a 30-year-old son, and I I hang out in congregations with some devout 20-year-olds who tell me it's true, and I read it in books, so I got to believe it's true that the generation in their late teens up to 30 is much more open about their spirituality even if it's no spirituality. Yeah. They're very willing to talk mm-hmm. about that. I think you just take advantage of that and you hear them out. And by being willing to listen to their views, you're going to get their respect and then they'll hear you out. Now, what you're going to say as far as your point of view is going to be vastly different from theirs, likely, right? And from that point on, I think we just take God at his word. If you're going to give me the time to explain to you who Jesus is, and it's not the church and what you've seen on TV and what your perceptions may be, but I, your friend, am telling you what Jesus is to me and why I belong to a church. And you talk about sin and guilt and death and resurrection. God takes over from there. Uh, I got to believe it's no more profound than that because Scripture says it so. But you're going to have to earn their respect, right? Mm -hmm. And you only get respect by listening to somebody, I think. Yeah. Yeah. How have you guys experienced that? Is that, would you say that? I mean, the assessment about uh, the spirituality thing, I think, is very true, at least from what I can tell. Um, I'm not making judgment calls on older generations, but it seems like the people our age, um, and younger, it's just, it's a more common topic to even talk about. Right. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I've, I've definitely had that conversation with people a lot. I mean, especially friends of mine who would consider themselves atheist or agnostic or, you know, grew up with a church and now are totally against the concept of going to church. You know, that, that's a conversation I get to have kind of frequently, um, but it has given me the opportunity to say what I believe, what the word says. And honestly, it's not as though every person I talk to is then all of a sudden understanding it or even having a positive view of Christianity, but they've never turned me away. They've never stopped being my friend. So, right. Yeah. I guess and it's just, persistence. Yeah. Tying that idea of persistence in Heidi to something that we talked about on earlier instant gratification. That's not what it's about at any level. It is not about this kind of um, proselytizing, you know, crusade. It It's about sharing the love of Jesus and doing that consistently, persistently over time. Yeah. And at the risk of being redundant, it, it's fascinating. But most of the conversations... Would you say the conversations we have, are, are they fascinating? 
you know, you discuss the weather yeah, or, or football or something, or, or mine. I'm passionate about baseball. I could talk about it all day long. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? No, but isn't it fascinating to realize that you're talking to a human being who doesn't understand or believe where they came from and where they're going and how they get there? And you, you get to have that conversation. Um, if, if anything, we, we were in the church, you got to buy into that more, that that, it, that really is fascinating. Yeah, I would agree. Like when you, like you put it that way, it is fascinating, but I don't think many people, myself included, would have ever thought of it in that way before. Yeah. That the things that we talk about on Sunday, that the things we talk about in group, they're fascinating. That they're- for, for someone else, like, you know, like I think when you're in your Christian group and you're in your um, The Way group or whatever and you get to talk about it, you get excited about it, it is fascinating. But you don't, I think when you're talking to a friend or somebody else who you know is not Christian, you just assume that they're, it's not fascinating for them. Um, and it's not going to be a fascinating conversation. It's not going to be a, a fun, good or interesting experience. Um, but thinking about it in those terms, like this, this is the only thing that matters. Right. I had a friend call me today who happens to be a pastor and he shared with me an experience where he had an opportunity to present to a large group of people um, that was not his congregation that he had never presented to before. And he, of course, uh, took the opportunity to point people to uh, Christ crucified for them and what it means for them in terms of their life now and their life in eternity. And he called me and we talked about a number of different things in the phone call, but he said, it was amazing to me. I wasn't saying anything novel. I wasn't saying anything truly exciting, really, but people were on the edge of their seat. And he goes, it was just, it was really exciting for me to get to do that. And I, I didn't anticipate it. And he was encouraged by that. Um, so I, I thought that was fascinating. And it, it happens in a pastor's life. It can happen in anyone.